0: Hey guys, it's Keith. Let's talk about gun violence. It's been in the news, especially where I live here in Los Angeles, there have been a slew of mass shootings and I tend to ignore these nowadays, not out of callousness per se, but I don't really appreciate the narrative that's built around these kind of stories What I mean is that I'm skeptical of the gun control movement, the political cause to control guns in the USA. I'm definitely skeptical of the anti-racist movement to attribute so many shootings to racism, or at least the product of racism, by virtue of the fact that so many criminals come from poverty and are minorities and commit a disproportionate amount of crime, something that people never like to discuss, which is understandable. You know, I just, I I don't like being given this sort of media narrative. I don't really like the narrative from the other side either, whereas Democrats with a capital D might represent the push for gun control and new legislation. Republicans with a capital R tend to support the Second Amendment and defend people's right to own guns, to use them probably uh, properly and safely, which is the case for the vast, vast majority of gun owners. You know, I don't really care about that because I'm not a gun owner or enthusiast or anything like that. I don't really understand the, th- the whole appeal of owning a bunch of guns. I could imagine owning a gun. I have certainly shot a few guns, and I don't even really care about that sort of thrill. But, um, you know, when I think about some sort of dystopian future and defending myself and my house and my possible family and the like, I could imagine having a gun for that rare instance, for that sense of security i don't need to be told that i'm more likely to shoot a family member i don't need to be lectured about how my child could discover the gun you know i find all that kind of stuff just fear-mongering and hysterical and quite frankly i look at this all from the point of view of drug use i'm libertarian on these topics of individual freedom you know a lot of people want to legislate and control drug use and the drug war is obvious evidence of that. How effective is that drug war? Very very ineffective. How many people die from drugs? Very 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 few. The vast majority of people that partake in drug use have a fun time on them and don't need to be lectured about harming their bodies and how perhaps, you know, their dog or their baby might, you know, find their bag of drugs or something like this. I mean, It's just not very relevant. Similarly, like the abortion discussion, I don't really care about these fringe arguments, cases of rape and incest, right? I mean, it's such a tiny percentage of abortions that I don't see the need to make that argument, you know? As a pro-choice person, just leave it at a woman's body, you know? The agency of a living person over the potential growth of an embryo. That's all that needs to be said on the topic, in my opinion. So when we're talking about guns, you know, I don't really care about the Second Amendment. I do think it's a strange one. I think it's worth analyzing that how times have changed and what that really means to sort of defend yourself against a tyrannical government. You know, obviously given technological progress, the U.S. government has nuclear weapons, as well as tanks and Apache helicopters and the like. No individual can match that, not even close. And I don't expect or advocate for the legalization of bazookas, you know, (laughs) and uh, such kind of, you know, insane weaponry. So the conversation is being had in this very slim sliver of arms, which is automatic rifles, assault rifles and the like, which, con- which attribute for so few of our actual gun deaths in this country and globally. I shouldn't say globally. Certainly assault rifles do a lot of the killing in terms of war-torn places. But in the U.S., in this time of, quote, peace, we have a lot of gun deaths. I won't deny that. Uh, It, of course, depends on your definition of a lot. Certainly, we don't have as many gun deaths as car deaths. Uh, I don't know what the deaths by gun were compared to COVID. I guess I could find that out pretty quickly. I am looking at um, some websites here, Statista, number of people shot to death by the police, and breaking those numbers down, we could get into that. Um, gunviolencearchive.org, looking at this tracking of 2023, you know, so far we've had 3,600 total gun deaths in the USA, a country of 600 and 360 million people or so. So you do the math on that, and I'm not very good at moving decimals around, but it's some, you know, percentile of people have died from guns and i would i find the argument that even one is too many fairly convincing in a way like i think obviously in an ideal world nobody would die by gun but i think that that's probably unrealistic um especially when you break these numbers down out of that 3600 2000 are suicides and that stands to reason It's always the case that suicides make up the majority of gun deaths. We never really acknowledge that, but it needs to be acknowledged. Always, every single year, the majority of gun deaths are suicides. Those are usually men of all sorts of ages. Almost all of them. So then you're left with homicides. Again, the majority are men. So I've heard the argument, you know, of toxic masculinity in here. We're going to put that aside because it's not a very popular argument these days. It kind of goes without saying that on the extremes of most personalities, you have men uh, being the most violent, uh, as well as probably, well, leave it. We don't need to go into all that. Looking at actual, like, weapons used, the majority of gun homicides are committed by handgun. So we're not really even talking about rifles, let alone assault rifles and machine guns. Now look, I'm a libertarian on this topic, in case that hasn't been clear. I don't have a real passion for this topic because it doesn't concern me very much. But I would say that I appreciate where Democrats are coming from, given that I would rather live in a safer world from guns given that I don't care about guns. I do think, though, that it's a fool's errand and that it's just not going to happen. There are so many guns in this country that trying to outlaw guns or get rid of them is just not going to happen, and I don't support anyone that makes those kind of noises politically. Gun control laws? So this depends. I mean, I think some of this stuff is very reasonable and sane and kind of obvious, right? Closing gun loopholes Um, I think especially some sort of, you know, licensing should be requisite for having a gun, just like driving a car, if not flying a plane. I think it makes a lot of sense that you have to prove that you're cogent and a reasonable person with a clean mental health record, for instance, to have a gun. And that should be enforced. That should really be enforced. You know, you hear arguments, um, let's say, from the right, like, if you outlaw guns, then just the outlaws will have guns. I think there's validity to that. You hear from the left, you know, like, the only real through line to so many gun deaths is the gun. So it's like, fair enough, that's why we're talking about it. But, of course, I do like that kind of phrase that guns don't kill people, people kill people. It's a very rudimentary, rudimentary, cliche argument, but it is true And there are plenty of mass homicides without guns. Uh, Certainly plenty of terrorist attacks don't involve guns. They involve cars, they involve planes, they involve bombs, they involve poison, they involve all sorts of different things. So there is this idea that I do believe that it's not about the guns. It's really not about the guns. That said, of course, if somebody wants to kill a lot of people, a gun will make it easier to do that. That's true. A gun is a tool and it's a deadly tool. So a lot of people make that argument when I bring up the drug stuff, like drugs aren't designed to hurt people. They're designed to heal in a very broad sense. (laughs) They're designed to create pleasure and, um, improve people's lives, generally speaking. Whereas drugs are designed to kill something. But there is a time and place to kill something, or at least maim or hurt something. For instance, a home invader. I think it would be pretty difficult for anybody to pretend that they wouldn't want to inflict some amount of harm on somebody breaking into their home and assaulting their partner. Now, how much harm, right? I mean, if that was happening here and now in my house, I would be very happy with a stun gun or some sort of projectile that I could use swiftly and effectively that contains the person rather than ending their life, right? Because I'm not very interested in ending someone's life necessarily. You know, I say that now, <laughs> who knows once um, hot-blooded passion takes over, revenge and such things are real feelings that are also very understandable, right? But again, let's contextualize all this. Context is really the name of the game here, and it's kind of the word I want to emphasize throughout this podcast. What does it mean to defend yourself? What does honor mean? What is violence? What counts as an attack? You know, I wanna throw out these kind of vocabulary words because I think it's interesting how they can go both ways and how we don't necessarily agree on what these words might mean. You know, defense, you know, it's a funny word, right? We have like a secretary of defense, we have a huge Homeland Security, you know, we have a huge defense budget, as a country. And it looks more like an offense budget. It looks more like money being spent on weapons to attack people. The USA as a continent is not being attacked. So why would we have a defense budget? I would think more like the Israeli uh, shield, right? They have um, a dome, let's call it, which is really just a series of missile launchers that act as a dome from any Flying objects toward Israel. That's more defensive, I would say. The US doesn't really have that. It more has that opinion of the best defense is a good offense, let's say. If you are well armed, people won't necessarily attack you. A lot of gun owners feel the same way. And you do hear this argument coming from the right that we need more good guys with guns. I'm not convinced by that argument. I don't believe that. Uh, we need more good people, I would say. We need more people that step up and perform acts of heroism, ideally, but it's hard to demand that. In one of the shootings here in L.A., a man did do that very thing and is being claimed a hero because he prevented the ongoing onslaught of an active shooter, and he did not use a gun. But that's a big ask, that everybody should be like that and disarm a shooter without a weapon themselves You know, that shooter, by the way, was an elderly Asian man and all of his victims were also elderly Asian people. So that's a very interesting topic that kind of belies a lot of the narratives you hear out there. Um, I want to maybe close the loop on that story, but uh, I'm thinking about another story, another recent attack in which um, black officers killed a black man. And this wasn't even with a gun, but the black man did die. And then this is a question of race because we're so, I shouldn't say we, a certain contingent of people are very quick to assign racism as a motive for a lot of gun violence, or at least violence in general, often police violence, which is not supported by the evidence or the numbers, not at all. Um, you know, Just to give you some quick facts, more white people are killed than black people by police officers. Proportionally speaking, it's true that more black people are killed, but it's also true that more black people commit more crime. Proportionally. Um, not the funnest stat to think about, but true nonetheless. And then people that like to discuss things in terms of race will point out some sort of apologia like... Well, they're only committing that crime because they're poor and they're stuck in a cycle of poverty, and it's this racist country that made them like that. And I really have a low tolerance for this sort of speech nowadays. You know, it's been, you know, belabored for the past three years now. And I find it just so unhelpful to think of things like that because it takes away agency. And this is a big word that I think is important to think about. You know, I I think it's really stupid, frankly, when academics and journalists insist that there's no fault to be put on any black person ever. If a black child, not child, teenager commits a crime, it's because he was essentially bred into a life of it through no fault of his own and that he's merely the product of a racist, unfair system of disadvantage. If a black officer kills a black kid, then that officer is part of a racist system in which he's been trained and brainwashed into seeing his own kin as animals and just criminals. I think that's all really sick to think that black people themselves in any instance don't have agency and that they're not making decisions on their own, but just reacting to an unfair world. I mean, can't that be the case for all of us then? Why would a white cop be acting in racism as opposed to being also bred into this kind of unfair system? And then the argument goes, well, they are. It's a racist system that breeds everybody into it that, you know, conditions all of us to just see the worst in certain skin colors, which I find so reductive. It's I don't even know if it's worth mentioning here. I mean, it's just the case that police officers fight crime and it's the case that minority groups commit more crime. Those are facts. Why they commit crime is more um, theory, this is less substantive to me. Why do black teenagers commit more crime? And I would put forth that it's more likely the case that they're growing up in a sort of culture that celebrates crime, a sort of fuck you middle finger to the man, a sort of honor culture in which gangs are family and defending that family and defending your honor is of utmost importance, as opposed to having a sort of inner peace, a sort of inner dignity to let things slide, no. And this comes actually from the white cultures of the South and Confederacy from which so much black culture came. It didn't help white people and it doesn't help black people now. And this is made clear by Thomas Sowell Who authored a book called Black Rednecks? He's a great thinker. Probably the most, the strongest conservative voice that I listen to would be Thomas Sowell. He's an economist who's been going into this sort of stuff for decades. And I find him very convincing. It doesn't make me a conservative thinker myself, but I do think he deflates the progressive arguments quite well you know, but here I am still being pro-choice. So I don't want you to think that I'm fully red pilled on every topic that I hear him discuss. But all this to say that, you know, my dad just recently forwarded this article to me, or not article, an email. Um, You know, there's a lot of inner discussions by academics and the like, who need to, who feel the need to contextualize and frame these stories within their anti-racist narrative that indeed black cops are trained into racism and that even when every person in a crime scene is black that it's because of white racism and i find it really desperate and silly to in, to insist on such a thing but that's that's what we're living in. Um, I care more about this kind of idea of <sighs> feeling whole and safe and maintaining my dignity and my wherewithal. And I want to talk about intent, right? Like the intent of a police officer is to fight crime and to supposedly keep the peace and to prevent other kinds of crime violence and that's their job that's the culture they're living in they're not living in a white supremacist culture they're living in an anti-crime culture i'm living in a sort of live and let live culture where i basically ignore everyone else on the street um, except for when it suits me to interact with them and we're all sort of pursuing our own happiness you know that's the culture i'm living in And in that culture, I feel threats from people outside of that sort of agreed upon system, most notably deranged people who seemingly have nothing to lose and are intoxicated and out of their minds to some degree, either from a substance or mental disturbance. Such people aren't showing me that they are abiding the same code of live and let live. They are abiding some other code of survival and animalist instincts, which I find threatening. And I know I'm not alone on that. So I walk by such people every single day with some amount of defensiveness, some amount of care, right? I'm on guard slightly, always predicting a sort of random attack. Now the chances are low, but it's not about percentages, is it? When we talk about such things, it makes sense that the media pushes this sort of fear narrative because well, why is it? Well, to sell clicks, obviously, but why are we so interested? I think it's because even though car crashes kill more people, even though heart disease kills the most people, we have agency in what we eat and how we drive. Now again, I'm sensitive to this sort of progressive argument that we are sort of, let's say victims of circumstance, let's say um, born into a world where we have less free will than we think, that things are sort of just planned out in a way that we end up on prescribed paths that in a culture of salt and sugary foods, it makes sense that so many people get addicted to food and die of heart disease. But they have agency, they know, we all know that we could stop eating You know, junk food. We don't want to, we don't want to stop eating junk food. We all know that car crashes are dangerous, or cars in general are dangerous, but we don't want to stop driving, we like driving. My mom was just in a car accident and it really, it really disturbs me. It makes me very upset to think about my parents driving the older they get, knowing that there can be a drunk driver out there that just sideswipes them through no fault of their own, right? Being on the road has a risk, but at least in a car, you agree to that risk, Whereas with a terrorist attack or a, you know, a mass shooting or even an airplane crash, there is no agency. And I think that's what makes it scarier. You know, a shark attack is scary because all you're doing is swimming in the ocean and you think that that's a safe thing to do. And then a shark can just come up and eat you or bite you anyway. Now, that happens, like, what, four times a year or something like that? Something super, super low. But it's enough to, like, put it in all of our heads that it's possible. Now, (laughs) basically everything is possible. So even when you outlaw all guns, even when you have a, let's say, let's imagine the most totalitarian solution to this sort of thing. Let's say that every single day the gun czar department comes by every single house and just checks on whether or not you're bearing arms. You know what I mean? Do you think that that really ensures that you won't get shot ever? How could it? You know, I mean, we we can all imagine skirting such rules here and there when we decide it's okay. And that's for law-abiding people. So... All this to say that I just don't see the virtue, I don't see the value in this gun debate topic. I don't understand what the, what the realistic goals are when we talk about gun control. I think the value is to get this elected official elected. That's what it looks like to me, government people politicians, run on the promise, so to speak, of your safety and doing something about making you feel safer. That's what it looks like. We can control guns a bit more, for sure. We can close those loopholes and do background checks, and we should. I would vote for that. I do vote for that. But it's so low on my list of priorities as a society because I do think that actually... The through line with all these mass shootings is the mental health crisis, is of people at their wit's end, people's breaking points. I think of the movie Falling Down with Michael Douglas, a man that's just had enough of this sick society and decides to, you know, (laughs) let loose on it. I I just recently watched rewatched Zodiac, the David Fincher film from a decade ago. So good, you know. If you're looking to scratch that itch of, you know, the, the what's that genre? Seal um, killers and crime and detective work. Nothing does it better than that film about the Zodiac killer of '70s California. It's, it's unnerving, that movie, because the attacks did seem so random. Now, were they exactly random? So many of them were young couples, for instance. It was clear that the killer, who was never brought to justice, had some mental derangement, some sick problem fighting his own temptations sexually through violence. I think that mental health and healthcare in general is the number one thing to do in this country, in this world, on this planet, that almost everything comes back down to it. Certainly homelessness and certainly mass attacks, as well as the hysteria in response to these attacks. I think we all need to check ourselves and our own mental health. We need to take deep breaths. We need to calm down. We need to meditate. We need to check ourselves and be one with our own bodies. We need to, you know, put our hands on one another and make sure that we're okay as a, you know, as a, as a group, as a social network, as a, as a tight-knit community. to to whatever extent. I think it's just of utmost importance to recognize how how sick people can be and how they need help. And that's my takeaway every time I read about gun deaths. It's not that oh my gosh how terrible that people have access to guns. It's more like oh my gosh, how terrible that somebody was driven to this behavior, that they felt the need to go to some place that they're familiar with. It's always the case. It's never some new random location. It's some place familiar to their lives and express themselves so destructively. And to me, that's just what it's all about, you know? So I just, I find it weird that... When we read about these things that people push for like taking away people's guns, like you do realize that that A doesn't really solve anything and B offends tons of people, the vast, vast majority of gun owners who would never do such a thing, for instance, are now your political enemies? Why? Or we jump to racism, the structural racism of our societies. Like, how is that relevant to this? why do you feel the need to turn it that way all the time you know i'm always checking myself like am i doing something like that am i trying to turn something toward my pet cause in this case mental health it's not really my pet cause i'm not always trumpeting this topic ad nauseum to everybody i guess it does come up a lot you know with the trans stuff as well um it's a big topic to me, for sure, how people think. And I, I think that we, all, we, as a society, lack mature dialogue because we lack <laughs> mental health coping mechanisms and cognitive skills. These things are related. We can all imagine, if not no directly, this sort of person who, who lacks so fundamentally a healthy outlook on the world, that they take emotional offense. They take offense and feel emotionally damaged in their inability to perceive reality in a well-adjusted way, basically. It reminds me of this recent case at Hamline University in which a professor sensing even, this sort of modern hysterical reaction, this sort of perceived umbrage from inoffensive content, gave a trigger warning, allowed a safe space, recommended that students excuse themselves if they felt they needed to. This is an art history professor showing artifacts to a lecture in a lecture hall to students who are presumably there on purpose to learn about history and showed a photo or some sort of slide of the prophet muhammad and despite warning a student did take offense and complained to the university higher ups who then fired this professor which is insane in my book that the university could be so cowardly and not stick up for this professor, who I do think is successfully suing this Minnesota university. Maybe the maybe the institution is even backtracking. I'm not sure how it's falling out. But the fact that a student felt offended to the point of attacked, akin to violence, really, you know, in order to Like, how strong of a complaint must it be for such a professor to be fired? And where is the grounds for that? It would have to be a true offense. It would have to be um, tantamount to violence, one would think. And I suppose I could play that game, right? I could imagine imagery that I found violent. I, you know, I want to, I want to talk about our ability to resolve ourselves, to steal ourselves for certain topics and imagery so that we can handle it. And a perfect case scenario would be like at the hospital or like surgery, right? Like surgery is extremely gory and frightening looking. And if you had your belly or cranium opened in any other context, it would be horrific and traumatizing. But in the context of surgery, it's okay. Boxing, similar. If you were to witness or yourself be punched into the side of the head, this would be very, very traumatic and disorienting. I mean, it already is in a way, but it's exciting in the right context, right? Working out just exercise in general, can be like that. The trauma or the the work that you put onto your body is akin to violence, but without that intent. Perhaps we've all been on a subway train or some such public area where somebody bumps into us. And, you know, this is an invasion of space, of personal space, fundamentally. But we excuse it when we realize that it's unintentional that no harm was intended, especially with an apology. But we, for a moment, have to look around and think, who's bumping into me? What does this mean, right? And I think probably less sophisticated, more emotional people might still be offended and take it begrudgingly were that to happen. And I think that we're living in this world, I suppose, what I want to say about this is that it's not good that so many people are so coddled and weak and unprepared for the, the true dramas and disasters of life that we feel the need to complain about it, that we can call such things violent attacks against us, our personhoods. And it's so much of what I dislike about wokeism, about, you know, this anti-racist or anti-sexist kind of stuff where you just name call back and call everybody bigots because you feel as if you're attacked in some invisible way. You know, there's a book called Anti-Fragile on this topic that I think is important to to understand. We need to be anti-fragile. It's not healthy to be so fragile in this world. It is vital that we steal ourselves for what's out there and defend ourselves in this kind of way. Not through being defensive and not through actively antagonizing or attacking anybody else, but by having a personal resolve, being zen about such things i think it's the true answer and it's not the answer to everything but in this regard of violence i think it's important to to properly categorize what we're talking about here you know this university lecture hall thing being you know on the same level as like a mass shooting that's insane that people that could be the case and yet There are probably people that have survived some of these shootings or were in the vicinity of them that are handling it better than this awfully fragile child student (laughs) who complains to their dean about, about a professor showing an image. Now, I would have to just say one final caveat. I do think that's just, that's not the full face value of that. I think that this student probably saw a power play to grab and, you know, social media attention thing to like make a big fuss about such a thing and that obviously her just seeing the prophet muhammad on the screen isn't fundamentally what's you know it's not the end of the world for her but she can make this performative you know stink about it and gain some amount of attention and accolades and that's a sad world to live in right where we could even celebrate such a thing at least that's what I think. Maybe you think otherwise. Let me know if you do. I'd be very curious to hear some counterpoints. Um, I'm wondering what those could be, but do let me know if you have any, and uh, I think I'll leave this topic there. There's, you know, of course, more to say about violence in general, but it's enough for now in the wake of these ongoing apparent tragedies that keep happening. Let's continue to dissect them. All right, guys, until next time. Ciao.